Hello, and welcome to the Story Wagon Podcast, where we talk about life, story, and spiritual health. I am your host, Chaplain Jose Martinez, and you can learn more about this podcast at our website, storywagon.org. You can also show us your support on our Patreon page so that we can continue to host this podcast and create resources that help our communities develop good spiritual health. Welcome. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Story Wagon. Uh, It is me, Chaplain Jose Martinez, in the year 2021. So Happy New Year for everybody. And I would like to reintroduce everybody to my co-host, the Reverend Amy Shoemaker. Amy, hello and welcome. Hello. Happy and New Year. Happy New Year. Yeah. <laughs> A new year. Happy New Year. <laughs> new administration. Yeah. But we still yeah. we still have lots of things that we're uh, we're dealing with, and uh, you know, on this episode, we kind of want to kind of kind of want to tackle some of these tough. Uh, these tough uh, topics that we've dealt with, you know, this past year, when we're looking back, you know, we dealt with, you know, we're still dealing with the pandemic with COVID. Uh, We're still dealing with um, some of the immigration issues that occurred over these past few years. Uh, We're still dealing with um, the repercussions of the police violence and the gun violence that's happening into a lot of our society. Um, But with this election, it's, you know, there's been a lot of turmoil uh, and, you know, strife between not only us as society, but, you know, even within families. So, you know, we kind of want to kind of want to go a little bit and dive in a little bit deeper and what what that means for us as human beings. What do we do whenever um, we're dealing with the struggle of this election and in this election and some it's causing hope for some and maybe turmoil for others. So Amy, how do you feel about this whole thing? (laughs) Oh goodness. That feels like a really big question. (laughs) Um, and a good place to start. Um, I am primarily feeling relieved. Um, we have a ton of work to do to, you know, continue fighting for justice, to continue moving toward repair of our social structures, our communities, our relationships, our own souls. Um, and I'm relieved that my healthcare is no longer under threat. I'm a person who uses the healthcare marketplace to get my health insurance, mm-hmm. so through the ACA. Yeah. So I'm relieved that that is safe for now. I'm also relieved that my marriage is safe for now. Um, as a person in a same-sex marriage, um, that's you know been a concern for. It's like we had such relief at, after 2013, and now with Amy Coney Barrett's confirmation, that really felt scary. Um, and so, while the fight continues. There is at least someone in, you know, we at least have a president and a vice president who support my right to stay married to my partner. (laughs) So, you know, with racial justice and economic justice and environmental justice and, you know, immigration and healthcare, like there are so many areas that need support and um, improvement. 
and I can continue to work for those things with a little bit more peace of mind. Yeah. <laughs> knowing that I'll keep my health insurance <laughs> yeah, and right. that I'll be able to stay married. Um, so that's that's the primary feeling right now is relief. Um, and then I'm not quite hopeful yet. <laughs> oh, I see. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, as I'm still very tired, just like emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually exhausted. Uh-huh. Um, but there's there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Right. It still feels pretty far away, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> but it's there. So. <laughs> That's a that's a step in in the right direction for me. <laughs> yeah, well, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I, How about you? I, I do I do have hope um, in this whole situation. Um, you know, when whenever there's two two sides, um, you know, divisiveness com- comes occurs no matter what, whether it's political yes. or any kind of point of view. But yeah. now that that we're settled uh, in the decisions. Uh, we can work towards unity and in my mind you know it's it's like you know teamwork makes the dream work sort of thing and so no matter your perspective at this point in time it's like okay what's done is done let's work towards the future now and you know there's lots of things that we need to help heal you know as as we were saying uh, uh, COVID-19 is still uh, occurring with the pandemic and you know it, uh, for the listeners out there if you don't know right now I am uh, currently in Germany <laughs> so I'm in Germany Amy's in Kansas City right now we're doing this this podcast uh, distance and uh, mm-hmm. but you know when I look at the pandemic and how it's affecting everybody in this world a lot of people are going through many different struggles you know uh, Again, not just with the politicalness, but also with um, health-wise, uh, relationship-wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it's just affecting every part of uh, life. And whether yeah. you're married, single, uh, living alone, uh, living in occupied settings. You know, right now I'm a geo, a geo bachelor. <laughs> so <laughs> so I'm, I'm like in my apartment all by myself sort of thing every day because the restrictions over here in Germany are a lot more stringent than in the United States. And so mm-hmm. that's causing uh, mental health issues for uh, many of the people that I serve in the military. And mm-hmm. I'm doing like different um, counselings uh, because of that, you know, whether it's mm-hmm. um, dealing with the depression, dealing with uh, moral injury and guilt, uh, whether it's dealing with just work stress um, or just boredom, you know, even. So, yeah, you know, it's it's just being impacted. But again, you know, with this whole new kind of fresh start sort of thing, uh, I just I'm just getting hopeful because of it, because we can only work our way up from here. Yeah. Yeah, I I am really skeptical of conversations about unity and healing. Mm-hmm. Um because I know we need healing and like unity is great, but not if it means perpetuating white supremacy. Right. Not if it means perpetuating homophobia and transphobia and you know, these mechanisms of harm mm-hmm. that are at the at the core of so many of our relationships and communities. Um, 
here in Kansas City, you know, the CDC did their eviction ban over the summer and Kansas City, Jackson County has continued to grant evictions Mm -hmm. since then. Mm -hmm. Um, Judge Young, the who's in charge of the eviction court, um, put a moratorium on evictions for until January 24th. But that's like three weeks that they're not hearing cases. Uh And, you know, Biden extended that with the CDC into April, but the court, the, you know, the court locally already is not <laughs> honoring that moratorium. Um, and so it's when you're talking about like, you know, people are literally fighting for their lives in the midst of this. And we can't even agree on what the problems are, you know. Um, right. And so like unity would be great, but we at least have to agree that that evictions are a problem. Yeah. And that homelessness is a problem that is the responsibility of our communal structures, our communities, our governments to take care of. Um, And so while I hope that we can pull together and, you know, under some strong, competent leadership, some really wonderful things done, I'm skeptical. because we can't even agree that white supremacy is a thing and that it's a problem. Right. Like across the board. Yeah. Um, so I really, really hope that we can do it. I'm afraid that unity is going to mean, um, I don't want unity to be something that means we're continuing to sacrifice black and brown and queer people. Yeah. Um, in order to, appease you know the people who don't see color and who don't who aren't living the reality of discrimination right um so i feel like we have to be specific about what unity we're asking for Mm -hmm. and what unity we're looking for yeah i uh Um, i totally agree the um it's interesting that you're bringing this up because um you know i'm part of different uh you know, conversation groups, you know, with clergy and things like that. And, uh, you know, amongst our colleagues and they have that same feeling as you do. And um, one of the things that I've been meditating about and pondering is that, you know, when it concerns the majority culture, um, you know, holding on to some of these uh, systemic things, you know, um, and not you know, and people are like, well, why, why don't they see this? Why don't, you know, why aren't they mm-hmm. addressing, you know, the, the racism or the homophobia and things like that? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, with our culture, it's been a certain way for so long, right? Mm-hmm. And, and especially when you have privilege in this world, you know, it's like, okay, mm-hmm. all of a sudden now you have to face this reality. And, um, you know, we've talked about disenfranchised grief before uh, on the podcast. And, you know, to me, it seems like we have to help people through this grief work, especially in the in the majority culture that they're they're Mm -hmm. they're like in this grief and this change is happening all around them. And they're not wanting to accept that change because they they're afraid of the change. And when you don't accept change, that's when you suffer. And when people are suffering, when hurt people are hurting, they hurt other people. And so mm-hmm. I, I think like we have to like as the church, 
uh, and other religious institutions should be able to um, help people to kind of like start working that, you know, mm-hmm. working the grief uh, and kind of like recognizing it and like, yeah, the world is changing, you know, uh, mm-hmm. is not going to be the same. And we understand that that's a that's a problem for you. And uh, because when people are in grief, they're not going to be able to see any other other social issues other than the things that yeah. that's what's happening to them. So uh, mm-hmm. what do you think about that? Like if when I'm saying like, you know, uh, you know, religious institutions need to help our society in this grief work, especially in the majority culture, what, what, what rings for you there? Oh, for sure. <laughs> like, I feel like as a society, as a culture, we don't do grief very well. Mm-hmm. Um, just meaning that, you know, it's not like you get a bereavement leave when a family member dies or when something tragic happens. Right. You know, like, like why can't why can't a person take three months off after losing a parent? Mm-hmm. You know, why can't they have a paid like three months <laughs> bereavement leave to just tend to their feelings, to tend to all of the paperwork (laughs) and you know like there's a lot to there's a lot to deal with when someone passes Mm -hmm. um and when a tragedy happens you know like legally and logistically and practically in addition to all of the feelings and we're we're also not encouraged to have like embodied expressions of lament um you know i i feel like if a person is grieving, like I love the black armbands and like the, the mourning clothes of the Victorian era where people had to wear black for a certain amount of time while they were in mourning. Yeah. Yeah. And like, while I can, while the Victorian era, I I don't look to the Victorian era for anything besides that, that practice. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm not suggesting we go back there, but I wish there were, you know, sort of a cultural signifier Mm of grief um so that if i'm wearing a black armband or something like that then everyone in my everyone around that i'm grieving and can be gentler with me um and i think it's really important you know one of the things that was striking this week was the uh, memorial the covid 19 the luminary Mm -hmm. memorial at the at the National Mall um, between the Lincoln and Washington memorials along the reflecting pool. And it was the first, like I was watching the news, um, like I was watching that service Mm -hmm. through MSNBC and like Rachel Maddow was talking and um, a couple of her colleagues were talking about, they, they were so moved emotionally. Yeah. And they were commenting about how it was the first time there had been any kind of national recognition of the loss of life. And as different commentators would come on to share their experiences, many of whom have lost loved ones, um, you know, it was like the the anchors were trying harder and harder to kind of keep it together. Right. Um, But I feel like, it's it's so important to just acknowledge the loss, uh, not just in COVID nineteen, but in our own lives. Like, 
whether you've lost a loved one or not, we have all lost a lot. Right. We've lost vacations. We've lost birthday parties. Right. We've lost holidays and family dinners. And, you know, it's like my mother is in chemo right now and I can't go to the doctor with her. Right. I can't, you know, sit with her in her chemo treatments. I can't accompany her on this journey mm-hmm. because of these pandemic protocols. Right. Um, you know, and so it's like we all have lost so much and I don't I don't see many people really acknowledging that. Yeah. As much as um like as much as I would like to see in a sort of healthy grieving process. Right. Um because we have to keep living our lives and we have to keep paying our bills and we have you know it's like we have to keep functioning in society to a certain degree. Um, we have to keep food in the fridge. And, you know, it's like there are so many responsibilities that we have to uphold that we have to sacrifice and sort of disassociate and detach. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're all sort of sacrificing this grieving process sort of on the altar of um our economy and our livelihoods and our ability to support ourselves and our families economically. Right. And that feels really backward to me. Mm. Um, so I was actually talking with um, a clergy friend between Christmas and new year's. And we were just kind of talking about like the new year's coming up and I was like, can I just take this year off? <laughs> <laughs> can we, I'll just have a Jubilee year where we're just like, processing our feelings and coming together as a community and like nurturing our relationships and not having to worry about all of the stuff of paying our bills and keeping roofs over our heads and all of that. Like can we just have a year collectively to grieve and repair? Um, And so it's like even the limitations of my grief and, and my ability to grieve just as me um, you know, the limitations that I'm feeling are not in alignment with my moral sense of what is right. Right. Like morally, I believe we should all have the space to grieve. We should all get bereavement leave. We should all, you know, like there are certain, um, things I believe are right and necessary in order for us as humans to, sort of reduce harm and minimize our harmful impact on others. And that's all rooted in self-care and healing. Um, And we just don't have the space to do that right now. Yeah. Um, And I think sometimes, you know, other people are not allowing us to give that space either, you know? Yes. Uh, You know, I I think about some of the, even within my own uh, circles, you know, I see people who have, lost relationships because of these times and um, Mm -hmm. you know people thinking you know they were friends with or family members with the same values and then uh, you know whether it's the presidency or the the way that we're approaching this pandemic they're now they see their values kind of not matching or lining up and they feel betrayed or they feel like um you know, uh, alienated, you know, that sort of thing. And so yep. they're caught there. There's this division now and there's this emptiness. And so 
there's a loss of that, you know, and they're dealing with that kind of grief. And then, mm-hmm. you know, what I'm trying to help people understand is like, okay, uh, maybe, maybe those people are not seeing the grief that you're going through, but also mm-hmm. know that they're grieving too. They're in this grieving process. And again, you know, they're not meaning to hurt you. Uh, or they're lashing mm-hmm. out because of their grief or their of their suffering, you know, and it's like trying to frame yeah. it in that way. And it's not to excuse the actions. It's just to give it reason, you know, some sort of reason. So like if we can. Yeah, uh, underst- to cultivate some compassion. Yeah. And, and understanding and like mm-hmm. maybe we could help each other out through this yeah. ambiguous loss yeah. or this disenfranchised grief, you know, that sort of thing. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, but we've become obsessed with being right. Right. <laughs> I mean, people are willing to sacrifice everything to maintain their rightness. Right. When, like, that's relationship isn't about being right. Mm. And if if we insist on if we keep insisting that we are right, um we're always going to be limited. Mm. You know, it's really easy to sacrifice a relationship when you've put yourself on this pedestal and when you see that your perspective is the one right way. Right. Then, you know, it all, all you can have for other people is contempt at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so it's that's that seems like some of the root of these family struggles that I'm seeing and that you're alluding to is that, um, you know, people are prioritizing being right over being compassionate Mm. and understanding. Right. Yeah. And we're not, that's not going to get us anywhere. (laughs) It's just going to bring more pain for everybody, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because if, if my way is the run is the one right way, then in order for you to have my love and my understanding and, and connection, then you have to conform to what I think is right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, I think about my friends whose um, family members, you know, <clears throat> want to have big family gatherings with no masks mm. and they themselves like are in strict quarantine and they're very strict about wearing masks and they're having to say to their families, I won't be there. Yeah. Or if you want me to be there, everyone needs to wear a mask and people are prioritizing their own comfort and their own idea of what's right over the relationship with that one individual who's not comfortable with, you know, like, so if you have a family of people who don't want to wear masks and you have an individual who wants who who is saying I won't be there unless masks are worn and then the group is saying we don't care about you and what you want mm. <laughs> because we're right. Yeah. It's just it's so painful. Um and so I've been thinking a lot about, you know, you talk about moral injury and I've learned a lot about that from you. And I'm curious, like, how does moral injury factor into these sorts of family dynamics and these sorts of um, sort of community dynamics in which, um, you know, people have different levels of risk and comfort 
interact yeah. with things like masks and COVID-19 protocols right. and things like that? How does moral injury factor into that? Yeah, so uh, one of the biggest things that, you know, I've been um, kind of helping people through is this f- uh, feeling of betrayal uh, from their families if, mm-hmm. if they are taking precautions really seriously and maybe the family members are at a point where, you know, they're they're like, oh, it's not affecting us, so, you know, must not exist sort of thing, <laughs> you know, living in that mm-hmm. denial, <laughs> you know, the grief yeah. that stage one is yeah. denial. So that's what I'm telling them. Yes. It's like your family's dealing with this, their grief, they're in denial. Yeah. Um, and, you know, trying to help them understand for their family, that's probably what they're going through. And for them to have like a sense of, okay, uh, even and the feeling of betrayal is real. And mm-hmm. so uh, I, I approach it from like a solution-focused-based uh, uh, approach. It's, it's, and with solution-focused-based uh, pastoral care is um, you, you're trying to change the things that you can change. So mm-hmm. like if that person's yeah. feeling anger, a lot of anger uh, towards their family mm-hmm. because of that betrayal, uh, first recognizing uh, not only the grief of their family but the grief that they're going through, uh, and trying to get mm-hmm. to a level accept of an acceptance that um, the dynamics between them has changed. Okay, mm-hmm. so, so once they get to that acceptance, then what what can they do to change their feeling of anger towards their family, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so, like, and, and they have to do that work to kind of come up with their own uh, their own sense of like what they can do. So a, a lot of them do feel like, oh, now that I see my family's grieving and they're just in denial, uh, that, mm-hmm. that allows them more compassion towards their family and the anger subsides, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, maybe at the moment they can't converse with their family, uh, on the, on the level that they did before, uh, you know, mm-hmm. helping them like, yeah, the boundaries are changed. Right. Exactly. And then develop new boundaries, mm-hmm. develop new practices to help them express what they're feeling. Mm-hmm. I, that's the approach that I've been taking yeah. on, on those kinds of aspects, you know, sort of thing. So mm-hmm. uh, does yeah. that, is that it helpful? reminds me of, yeah, it reminds me of, um, Al-Anon, mm. um, actually in which, you know, there's this idea about separating the person from the disease. Yeah. Um, and being able to like, you know, see that your alcoholic relative or parent or mm-hmm. partner or whatever. Right. That they are a person separate from their disease of alcoholism. Right. Um, and so it, it's there's a parallel to me about like if you can identify that denial is what's happening, then you can start to sort of separate the person from the experience that they're having mm-hmm. in in and in that space can more compassion can exist right um and then the other piece that is coming to mind from Al-Anon is the um if then statement so like if you're dealing with an alcoholic relative then in order to set those boundaries you know you have to say things like or you can say things like if you show up to the birthday party drunk i'm leaving Mm. or if i show up to your house and you've been drinking i will leave um and so you know you're very clear about the what the consequence will be of their action right and then you have to do that right exactly 
So the challenge then, like it's easy to say, if this happens, then I will do this, but then you actually have to do it. And those consequences actually have to uh, be enacted. Right. Um, So those are, that's just kind of what that's sparking for me is like, there's, there's actually, I feel like there actually is probably a lot of wisdom in some of the 12 step recovery stuff. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. And to I, be utilized right now. Right. And I, I would I would even put it more to like it, it, there's so many practical things for like other ills because, um, yeah. you know, alcoholism is treated like a disease. To me, yeah. racism should be treated like a disease, you know, sort of thing. Yeah. And so like yeah. approaching it yeah. in that it manner, a, you know, that sort of thing. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like spiritual, emotional, mental. Like it's not like a physical illness. Right. It's more of a spiritual illness. And, you know, I've been curious for a long time about, you know, we have mental illness. What about spiritual and emotional illness? Like, is there a way to sort of identify these different components and like patterns and um, things like that? And I feel like pastors uniquely hang out in that (laughs) emotion space. Right. um, And in that spirit space. So, yeah, that all all good food for thought um yeah um just back to like the inauguration piece for a minute um you know i've been really reading a lot and listening to podcasts and stuff about just to learn exactly what biden did on his first day Mm, and learning like what policies he reversed and what you know spending he shifted where and different things like that and um it feels a lot like harm reduction Mm -hmm. um and i feel like at this point like that may be the place to start like you know um we're talking about grief we're talking about moral injury we're talking about all these betrayals that we've experienced from friends and family members who we thought like we're on the same page as us and it turns out they're not or they encountered a conspiracy theory that sucked them in and now they're like totally turned around on things um and prioritizing being right over being compassionate um and i'm wondering about what if our first step as individuals is just harm reduction um like if we rec- if we can recognize that we're all grieving, that we've all experienced loss, that we're pretty much all in a trauma response at this point, right? Um, you know, to to focus on harm reduction, um, so that just to begin with, we're kind of containing, not compartmentalizing, but just sort of turning inward and containing our energy our behaviors um doing a little bit of an inventory of like where where am i harming myself where am i harming others mm-hmm. um what feedback am i getting about my behavior mm-hmm. um so that we can just have a place to start right because there's been so much harm done right you know um and just i think I'm, i've been thinking about sort of some of the harm reduction strategies like opposite action to emotion and um 
you know, I, there's a process that I go through with spiritual direction clients where we kind of inventory what's life giving oh, yeah. in their lives. And then we inventory what's draining, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and once you put those lists side by side, it's really, it can be really clarifying about where your energy is going, where you could conserve your energy, um, things like that. And so I'm curious if you, you know, some of this, some of what you're talking about with this um, solution focused care, um, I'm wondering how harm reduction sort of factors into that or if that's part of the conversation. Right. Yeah. So like if, um, for instance, if there's something like if they want to uh, approach a conversation with their family, uh, one of the things that, again, is this boundary setting, you know, the practice of boundary setting, understanding like, okay, if we get onto this topic, the conversation is going to go down very, very quickly. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Y- y- you know, the the first step of harm reduction is like, okay, we'll just set those boundaries and not not talking at those topics at this moment in time, maybe, maybe later down the road that could change. But as for mm-hmm. right now in this time, in this space, this boundary is going to be set. And so if it, that boundary gets crossed, you, you first communicate what, what, what would happen with the boundary, if the boundaries crossed and then follow through on your action mm-hmm. and then reapproach it coming back. And to me, that would reduce the harm, uh, of mm-hmm. both parties, no matter what your perspectives are, you know, uh, it, yeah, you, you keep each other humanized, you know, <laughs> when you do those things. And so, uh, yeah, yeah. So just, just boundary settings to me is like the biggest, uh, reduction of, 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 uh, harm in my mind. Um, mm-hmm. however, you know, a lot of the things to, to get to that point, you know, you have to be in a place of centeredness. Yeah. Um, and grounding. And so, like, mm-hmm. you know, we go through different different practices of how that's done. I, I'm wondering mm-hmm. and when you're in your spiritual direction, do you do you do that? Do you lead um, people in that when whenever they're making these inventories of what's uh, life giving and not life uh, not life giving? You're asking if you do that from a centered place. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's, there are lots of different ways to get there, but it's primarily that sort of belly breathing, Mm. um, is a, it's a signal to your nervous system that you're safe. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, even just starting with like five deep breaths, you know, can kind of help get in touch with our direct lived experience so that we're, um, you know, not approaching that work from a panic right. or anxiety-based yeah. perspective. Right. Yeah, because we're we're all in a trauma right now. Whether whether yeah. people recognize it or not, this this is a traumatic experience. This this yes. pandemic. And, <laughs> so. Yeah, and even if like even if you yourself, um, like even if I'm like let's say I'm an individual whose life hasn't really changed that much in the pandemic, like let's say the biggest change is just wearing a mask to the grocery store or whatever. Uh Like even if you yourself don't feel like you're going through a trauma, like there's still very real vicarious trauma. Yeah. Um, And I was just thinking this morning about compassion fatigue. Like that's a phrase that I 
like used to use a lot that I'm like, oh yeah, that's a thing. Like that's real. Right, right. <laughs> you know, our compassion is a, our, we have our compassion muscle and when it gets fatigued, like we just can't hold it anymore. Um, and it feels like we now all kind of have a pandemic fatigue where it's like, yeah, I, I don't want to wear my mask anymore. And you know what? Maybe it is safe to meet with these 10 people right. because what, you know, because of these five factors. And right. when ultimately it's like, if we can just acknowledge our deep rooted need and desire to physically be together and not have to worry about, you know, getting sick from it. Yeah. Like, that that is very real Mm -hmm. and it's exhausting to continually have that desire and feel that desire and not be able to act on it like that's its own kind of fatigue right um as well so i'm just wondering if to wrap up like we've talked about grief we've talked about moral injury we've talked about harm reduction and just to make this practical for folks i'm wondering if could share just a few sort of hallmark um symptoms of like what are people what would people be experiencing in their bodies right now yeah well and like what are those symptoms that people should be on the lookout for right right yeah so um well again we've talked about the anger um and, Mm -hmm. and it's not just like things uh, well, triggering things, I mean, uh, being triggered easily is like yeah. when things like, well, why am I so irritated right now? You know, uh, yeah. just a slightest of little things where. Yeah. So like a disproportionate emotional response. Right. Exactly. And then yeah. uh, the sense of hopelessness is another thing. You know, mm-hmm. uh, despair is a spiritual disease, <laughs> you know? Right, right. And uh, despair is one of the hallmarks for um, the moral injury aspect of it. And, yes. And, um, you know, if you're feeling like there's no there's no future, uh, you're, you're, a person's feeling mm-hmm. more cynical um, of things, you know, mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. might be a sign of more of moral injury. Uh, the sense of alienation. Uh, feeling not just isolated but just really alienated like like nobody around you can can really connect or sympathize with you you know just feeling really really alone um Mm -hmm. and of course isolated isolated yeah and those are like the biggest things or maybe maybe a sense of guilt so um there's could be a possibility that um, you're feeling guilty because you can't connect with your families in the same way, or uh, maybe uh, that I, I know this one person that came to me. Um, they had uh, a pretty light view of the of the pandemic. They didn't believe it was mm-hmm. like all that serious, and then it affected them mm-hmm. in a way that made them realize, oh yeah, this is a real thing. This is serious. And that they felt guilty um, for either perpetuating some false information or just, you know, that that feeling, that that perspective of not taking it serious. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So they they felt like they caused some more harm to other people. And so uh, that's another uh, sense of moral injury in this pandemic that that's occurring. So 
Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's, it's, it's a matter of like, if you're experiencing these things, uh, definitely talk to uh, a professional, um, especially in the sp- spiritual health realm. I'd, I'd say, hey, if you have a, a spiritual guide, a spiritual director, uh, imam, pastor, rabbi, whoever it is that you, mm-hmm. it, that's there for you spiritually, talk to them. Mm-hmm. If you're dealing with some of these mental health issues like depression, uh, post-traumatic stress, uh, e- mm-hmm. even 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 uh, compassion fatigue and all the uh, all those areas, you need to speak mm-hmm. to a a mental health professional, a licensed mm-hmm. a licensed counselor, social worker, someone someone that can really help you in those areas and get you to the right resources that you need. Yeah. So, Amy, cool. I, I would ask you, like, in our time of wrapping up, I, if a person's feeling like uncentered and feeling like uh, they're floating into this space of chaos. How do you help people yeah. uh, get grounded? So um, it starts in the body. When we start to sort of uh, spiral into these different emotional responses, when we start to, to spiral into despair and hopelessness and different things like that, um, it's really important to come back into our bodies. Um, it's really, it's really easy to get stuck in our minds, like trying if, and I guess the, the sensation is feeling like you're trying to figure your way out of, or think your way out of where you are Mm -hmm. when the only way forward is through the emotions. We have to feel our way forward and emotions are only released and moved and we feel them emotions have to be felt and so um i i do a lot of movement and dance but the most basic thing would just be to get into a comfortable position mm-hmm. and to put your hands on your belly to put a hand on your heart and a hand on your belly to put your hands on your body and to focus on your breath so to imagine that um, right under your, where your ribs meet in the middle under your sternum is your diaphragm. And when you take a deep breath in, that inflates like a balloon. Mm-hmm. So to think about your breath starting from like the bottom of your belly, filling up your whole belly and then moving up into your lungs, into your chest, and then deflating from the top of your chest down to the bottom of your belly. So that you're visualizing that expansion and contraction, your hands are feeling that expansion and contraction under, you know, under, under the palm of your hands, you're feeling that expansion and contraction happening. You're able to go, you know, pretty slow. Mm. This is not a fast thing. This is a, a slow, intentional, mindful practice. And then once you've taken about five of those deep breaths, I would just invite you to start with your hands, feeling your body, reminding yourself that you're in a body, like the bottoms of your feet, the tops of your feet, the backs of your knees, like leave no skin untouched (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, to remind yourself that you are in a body 
that you have a body and after becoming present with that phys- with your physicality and your physical being to bring your awareness to your emotional being that just the practice of like giving yourself some contact and giving yourself some deep breaths some emotions may come up and it's important not to judge those emotions it's important not to suppress those emotions or deny or push them away um the idea is that you're just letting those emotions come up you're noticing them you're acknowledging them because they're they're helpful information that is trying to to serve you so to acknowledge those emotions and to give yourself a couple of breaths to feel that emotion to really turn inward um without you know disconnecting from your body um, and then you can use a few breaths to sort of wake your, you know, come back into your surroundings to become aware of the sounds and the, um, the environment that you're sitting in. So starting with these five deep breaths, filling up your belly first and then filling up your chest, emptying your chest, then emptying your belly, and then finding points of connection with your body that may be tapping it may be brushing it may be rubbing or massaging but paying attention to the parts of your body that don't get a lot of attention like the bottoms of your feet the backs of your knees the the fronts of your elbows where your elbows bend the back of your neck your ears the top of your head um, paying attention to those smaller spaces as well as the sort of easy obvious ones Um, And then just letting the emotions, giving yourself a few minutes to just be with your emotions and to name them and to notice them from this place of observation and noticing instead of a place of judgment or shame. Mm -hmm. And then using another few breaths to sort of come back into your awareness of the space where you're in, the environment that you're in, and then being able to open your eyes. Um, and take another deep breath and shake it out. And then you can kind of move on with your day. But that would be, you know, a really like that's something you can do in like five or 10 minutes every day, like right when you wake up um, to just check in with your emotions to root into this beautiful body that you have Mm -hmm. and to cultivate a sense of safety and security in your own being before you interact with the rest of the world. Wow. I was kind of doing it while you were talking. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Yeah, it was uh yeah, I uh there's a there's a sense of uh refreshness through that through that practice. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah. It's there's there's also um you can also layer in some gratitude. Mm. So like, you know, it's really easy to focus on what's not working. Right. But then when we can focus on, I'm, I'm thankful for the breath in my lungs, like I'm breathing. And, you know, in the midst of a pandemic where people can't breathe, right. in the midst of racial injustice where people can't breathe, mm. just the act of connecting to our breath can be really liberating. Right. Wow. Thanks a lot, Amy. Yeah. So... You're welcome. Yeah, we're well, we're well past time, but uh, I know this is always, good. always that's my that's 
<laughs> but this is good. This is good. Way to start off the to new year. To be continued. To be continued. That's right. So, um, so we'll uh, we'll just leave it at that. And uh, thank you for the listeners uh, that you're listening. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. So, uh, I hope and pray as we are going through this new year that um, we can come with a new, refreshed spirit and perspective. Uh, so, yes. So, Amy, thank you so Wonderful. much for coming, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Thank you. And on that note, we'll call that a wrap for this episode of Story Wagon. I want to thank you, the listener, for supporting us and listening to this episode. And if you want, please follow us on any social media platform and type in Story Wagon. You can also visit us at a website, storywagon.org. And so, with that, this is Chaplain Jose Martinez wishing you good spiritual health.